ding, ding, everyone. Glad to be with you tonight and looking forward to talking to you a little bit about the work that um, I've been grateful to be part of that's happening in Africa. But I still begin every time I want to talk with y'all about how very special all of you are to me, uh, the care that you've given to my family in many ways, to my parents when they worshiped here, and now to my son and daughter, grateful for their uh, love that they have experienced with you, and pray that great blessings will continue to come. I preach for the church in the Woodlands, Texas. I've been there since 2001. I also serve as one of the shepherds among uh, four elders that are there. But for some time, we have been supporting a man named Ed Brand, who's an Alabamian. Don't hold that against him. And uh, he has done much work for almost four decades all throughout the world, going and teaching mostly preachers, trying to train and teach them in the work of the Lord and equip them to be better able to talk about the gospel, defend the gospel, and bring the true gospel to the churches where all of those things are. He's done a great work, and the church at the Woodlands has had fellowship with him for quite a long time. But for almost a decade... He'd been pleading with me to come to him, or come with him. And uh, he celebrated, I believe, his 80th birthday this year. Um, I'm going to celebrate my 60th, so I'm no spring chicken. But uh, still looking forward to helping and being a part of that. There are other young men, uh, I guess young men in my capacity, that he has also enlisted to come and start doing the work that he has been doing, and I'm really grateful for that. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the gospel. That's Ed uh, from Alabama. We have gone, or I have gone, to particularly Burundi, which is what I'm going to be talking to you about tonight, uh, in 2002. And in 2003, we went twice in May and in October. And the church here has had fellowship with me in that, the expenses of that last year, for which I'm really grateful but the, the fun part about Ed is, and uh, my son will probably roll his eyes, is Ed and I get each other's sense of humor. Nobody else does, but we just have a great time with that. And particularly, I love him because he, he can take it when he wears a hat like this, and I can tell him that really suits you uh, because that's what he is sometimes. But he's a great guy, a great worker for the Lord. But where we are is in this little country in Burundi. It isn't... The largest, it is actually one of the smallest countries in Africa, and it has a population base that isn't as dense as other places in Africa, but it is a war-torn country like many of the countries that are in particularly the middle section of Africa. We can blame it for all sorts of reasons, but the gospel, when it was sent out in the first century world, didn't go to the places that were easy and didn't go to the places where the gospel would be accepted. The gospel went everywhere. And so Burundi came to our attention through contacts that both of us had, mostly Ed, that there were Kenyans who had been to Burundi who were Christians, and they came across this group of people that were trying to follow the New Testament. They so identified themselves as that church. They are a revival church, a church to revive the New Testament teaching in the churches. And the man who first started that, like an Alexander Campbell in American history, 
left the Pentecostal church because of the teachings that he knew were not in align with the Bible, and he began to follow those teachings. As a result of his good work, there are some eight churches in that central area of Burundi where we travel. To give a, even another impression that when you see, I, in 2022, I went to Uganda, much, much larger area and more people. The church where I am at the Woodlands, we support uh, six evangelists that are in Uganda, and so we have a deep interest in what's happening in Uganda. But it was after that trip in 2022 that we discovered Burundi and began making those connections. But a lot of times people will ask me, well, well why Africa? So many times that comes up because, well, the go- we, we need the gospel here, and that's for sure. Uh, we need the gospel everywhere. But ironically, when someone asked me that, and in my last presentation, the true size of Africa needs to be brought in perspective. I mean, even if you look at it on a world map, I think you start to get the point that I'm going to say to you. That in Africa, the landmass as a continent is extraordinary. It is not the largest landmass, and the population of Africa is not the largest population density in the world. But like in North America, which includes all of North America, I think it's 350 billion, uh, no, that's all right, 350 million people in our continent. We are the fourth largest continent population-wise. Africa is the second with almost 18... uh, Why do I have it wrong in my head? 1.34 billion people on the landmass of Africa. So when you consider that comparing the United States where North America compared to Africa, you begin to understand why teaching in Africa is useful for lots of reasons. It doesn't do any good for foreigners to come in and teach the gospel and make them converts. It's most important to go in and teach Africans to know the gospel so that they can teach other Africans. And that's what we hope to accomplish. So when you went to Burundi, it isn't a a very great-sized country. Uh, It is a very poor country. It is run by allegedly a a democratic government, but it isn't very well-run. There are no police in Uganda. There's only the military. And so there are regular security stops everywhere you go, and the security stops are always checking the papers of the driver in the car to make sure he's legit. But usually they always find something with some T not crossed or I dotted where we have to get through that, and we just leave it to our host, and we usually do. The first church we went to was just outside of Bujumbura, a place called Buturera. It was the first time we'd ever been to this congregation. This congregation was a Pentecostal church. And when we went there, uh, well, let me, uh, let me back up. Then we went to a church in Rukinga, which is where most of the work is that we've done. And we went to the church in Miyange and Mugurama, and then we went to the, back to the Kabizi Church, which is just south of Bujumbura as well. But when we were there, these were our hosts. Uh, Felix Habenamana, uh, he was the man who led the restoration movement that began all of these people. Ed Brand, you see there. Eric Irakoza is the man in the back. He is the translator uh, for um, 
mostly for Ed. John Berchemans is actually from Tanzania, and he comes across the, the border in order to translate for me. And uh, Javan is right there. Javan is kind of like their, uh, their, their R.J. Stevens, as you get my drift. You know, he is their song leader, and he's very talented in music. Uh, all of them came, and if you notice, none of us are wearing ties, but just like a really good Don Hooten joke, it went over really well. I gave them all ties as a gift, you know, so. But they were really happy to have all of that. And Vianney, Neo, Neo Mwanjira, uh, is a teacher uh, on, in the day, but he also came as a translator as well to represent Felix in our conversations. In the eight days of teachings, we taught in five churches, Buterera, Rukinga, Mugarama, Miyange, Kabizi. It was supposed to be seven, but because it was rainy season, a mistake that we probably won't make again, uh, we had to change a lot of our schedule and weren't able to go to all the churches. And like I said, we're go we spoke in one Pentecostal church, and while we were there, nine were baptized. What was really exciting about it was through gifts of individual Christians, especially we were able to distribute 160 Bibles in their language. Um, happened toward the end of our time, but we gave the money to our host. The host went out and negotiated with the people on the street, and that's where the Bibles were being sold. And we went home, or they went and they took and delivered the Bibles to the people. One of the people in the hotel where I am, he is, his name is Ferdinand. He works where we were in Ramangi, and he is a Catholic, um, nominally, speaks no English, speaks French, so Google French came in handy, and he wanted to pray with me and asked me to pray with him, and so he, he's been my uh, steward, I guess is the word, in the hotel where I've been for the last two times, and actually the first time I was there, he was at the other hotel that I stayed at, but we didn't make a connection until this last, these last two visits. Anyway, we got him a French Bible, and I'm looking forward to studying with him as I have been through WhatsApp. So we went to the Butarera Church. I preached on a lesson that sounds pretty simple now that I'm a Christian, but what I did is I took from the book of Acts how it is that the New Testament teaches us how the apostles spread the word of God. When you go back to the Gospel of John, for instance, Jesus promises them that I'm going to send you another comforter. Jesus had been their defender, the 12 apostles, while he was there, whenever the Pharisees attacked them, whenever the Pharisees said things against the ministry of the Gospel that they knew they were beginning to see unfold in their presence with Jesus' teaching, Jesus knows that he's going to send them out into a world that's not going to be friendly. So the promise of the Holy Spirit to the apostles in John 14 through 6, yes, to guide them into all the truth, to, to guarantee for you and me a revelation that we can have confidence that when we talk about what God wants, we know what God wants because it's here. But the apostles had to go up for the first time and say it for the first time. They needed a comforter. And that help was the Holy Spirit. And as we watched how those apostles brought people to be followers of Jesus as disciples, now that I'm a Christian, we can learn what makes Jesus pleased. And so some of the things that I talked about while I was there, and now that I'm a Christian from Acts chapter 2, because I was with a group that would be identified as Pentecostal, we talked about worship. And when we arrived, as is often the case, when we arrived to speak at these churches, 
they've already done their worship. That is, they've already done their singing. Unlike here, we all start at the same time. <laughs> we all start at 5 o'clock. Singing begins, and then, oh, and as the announcer was, my son was trying to figure out everything, I'm next, I'm That doesn't happen in Africa. You just arrive. And as people start walking in, they start singing. So nearly every church that we arrive at, when we arrive, the, the building is singing. There's already, there's already worship going on, and we haven't even begun. When we walk in, the worship stops in the sense of singing. Okay? But because this is a Pentecostal church, it wasn't just singing. We could hear the pounding of the drums as we were walking up. So we walked in, sat down, because I'd already planned my lesson. There were ladies in the front row with their drums. So as I began teaching, I began talking about all of the things that are there in Scripture. And as we and Ed talked as well about very important matters relating to authority, and then as we left, the pastor of this church pled with us to come back because he wants us to talk about water baptism. So we're excited and hopeful to be able to return this year to continue that conversation with them. But this is the group of people that we were with. Uh, ironically, the picture was not intentional, is hiding the uh, drum that is behind the, their draped podium. But we were there, and uh, you'll notice the men sitting to the speaker's left. Those are the leading men of the congregation. They stand to the left. That's a pretty common African custom whereas mostly the women and the children sit out in the audience. In this particular case, Eric was my translator. It's a very difficult thing when you try to teach and you depend on the rhythm of your own voice and you have to pause and wait for the translator. But Eric is a very good translator and able to speak well. And here is a picture of the women with the children um, all sitting there. They weren't real excited that I was getting ready to give them, get, get a picture of them, but at least here, you can see the drum. The exciting thing was, though, when we did the teaching, we did question and answer at the conclusion. And as we were getting ready for the question and answer, the two women got up and picked up, whether it was by courtesy or whether it was about a conviction, either con condition of those makes me glad they picked up the drums and they carried them out. And so at least they respected what was being said, and at least the speaker, the, I'm sorry, the pastor of that church wants us to come back and talk about baptism. Then we went to uh, uh, Rumangi, where the Rukinga church is. We spent an extra, extra day there because of the rainy season. So in the course of four days, which is not where we'd normally be doing, we talked about the body since the beginning, life and unity in the body, fulfilled prophecy and what it means, the work of an evangelist, which is terribly important that we talk about with them. That sounds, why are you talking about that? I'll tell you in a second. And how the Philippian church was the beginning of the gospel. You can see it uh, begin as a local church in Acts chapter 16 and how the church has matured to the point that Philippians now addresses it with its elders and with its deacons. While we were there, Ed was talking. Um, you can see again at this particular congregation, the men are on the side, um, and the women, we're talking to all the women and the children in front of us. You can look at this picture. There are still some men on the front row, but all of the women and all of the children sit in the back. 
While we're there, the men, and the encouraging part of this is you'll notice that they're all studying. That when we talk, they're opening their Bibles. They're reading a Bible in their own language, the Karindi Bible. But they are making progress. So one of the things that we mentioned, or I mentioned the last time I was here, <clears throat> that we, dis- we discovered it very quickly, finally addressed it with them when we came back last year in May, we told them that they're not doing what the Bible teaches as it relates to elders. Like all denominations, the denominations that identify the speaker, the preacher, as the pastor, they too had a pastor system where there was one man who preached who was the pastor and he was the one in charge with the congregation. And number two, they partook of the Lord's Supper once a year. For them, it was a matter of economy more than anything else, but that's what they did. So those subjects were addressed with them when we were with them in May of last year, and we were both anxious, Ed and I, that when we returned, things would change. And I think I told you the same thing when I was here last. Well, when we arrived at Rukinga, it was very evident, because this was the first church of the revival churches that we spoke with, that the evidence was clear. And we asked them point blank, how many pastors are here? And I think they said five. And we asked, of those pastors, of course, Felix, who is the Alexander Campbell among them, originally they called him our founding pastor. And so we asked, are they equal in authority? And they said yes. And we asked, is Felix in charge? And they said, no. So for us, we feel very excited that they have learned and that they're making changes. The second thing was, is that partaking of the Lord's Supper. They took a plant, boiled it in water because it turned it red like blood, and they used that for their fruit of the vine. We explained to them that that's not what the Bible taught, so we brought dried grapes for them. They boiled them in water, and they prepared that for communion. And we'll talk about that at the church where we did that on Sunday. We were not at Rukinga for that, but for another church. Then, uh, like I said, there's their R.J. Stevens uh, getting ready to lead them in a song. I don't know if the sound is going to play. careful little hands, eyes, ears, and they translated it into their own language, and uh, they've continued to sing it every time. So I'm hoping to go back with more songs to teach them. This is how we have to communicate. Um, So we use a chalkboard, not PowerPoint, and uh, we have the big chalkboard. I feel like I'm back in the 1940s, you know, at the uh, teaching, but it's all very good. And um, if you'll notice that my translator will take the passage 
and translate it into their language so that they can find it as well as up here. But this is their sign. The Iglesia de Reville dans le cour. The body of people who are reviving. And so that's what they're trying to do. It's not out on the street. It was run over by a car. They don't have expenses, uh, that don't have enough money in order to put it back out or get it replaced. And so that's where they are. And then while we were there, we're trying to teach them also how to teach. So this was Ed's design. Um, and so if you'll notice, there are two people standing in the middle, and he's teaching them to read scripture. And so this is a single woman and a single man. This is a Bible class setting. And so he had them take out the Song of Solomon. Yeah. And read from the Song of Solomon, a very tasteful selection from the Song of Solomon. All of you people don't have any idea what I'm talking about. Go home and read it, okay? But they, they read it. And his point was, in using this as an illustration is, that when you open the Bible, you have to realize it's meant for life. It's meant for real people. It's not meant for preachers to handle the Word of God and just deliver it to you. But rather, the Word of God is given for you to read and to be part of and understand it. And it was a very powerful application to all of that, and we were excited about the way that it went over. They were a little embarrassed, but it wasn't too bad. And then at the end of every session, we always have Q&A. And this particular session, this was the wife of Felix. And I'm impressed every time that we go there about how deeply spiritual she is. The questions that she asks indicate that she's a reader of Scripture. She can reference passages of Scripture, and her husband doesn't slide her questions to ask. And so as she reads and as she talks, I mean, as she talks and as she asks questions, uh, they're very good questions, sometimes better that the men ask, and uh, we're always glad to answer them. And just in case you, that's what I eat when I'm there. It's rice, a lot of rice and beans and an occasional piece of chicken, and that white thing is a little piece of bread. Promise it doesn't taste like your bread. And uh, that's what I eat almost every day while I'm there when I eat with them. But when I go back to the hotel, I still have pizza. So it's okay. I survive. Okay. Then we went to the Miyanga Church. If you'll notice, that's on the, last, the, the southern end of the, the country. Again, talking about now that I'm a Christian, but it was at this particular congregation where we had communion with them on the first day of the week. <clears throat> it was a very special time. Uh, like I said, I brought grapes that were dried for them to use, and Ed brought cups for them to use in their serving. Because of the experiences, we know that their background is we knew that um, things would always be different. So they asked Ed and I to lead communion. They wanted to see how we led it, so we agreed. I'm almost 60, Ed's almost 80. And if you notice the floors, everybody, it's dirt. There's no such thing as level dirt in any of these buildings. Ed's 80. I think he'd be okay for me to tell you that occasionally he gets off kilter, but generally speaking, he's pretty, he can walk level. So what Ed did is he brought the little plastic cups that we used to use, 
in our serving. I don't know what y'all do. Do y'all still serve them? Okay, okay. So little plastic cups in communion. And they brought us a nice little platter that was rounded to put these plastic cups on and fill it with the grape juice, which we did. And we had to spend time. <laughs> we started at 9, everybody. And we didn't take communion until almost 1. Okay? 1 o'clock. How, preachers, I guess we could talk for unending times, Harold. I don't know. But we had to come up with stuff as we went. And so we talked about the meaning of the Lord's Supper. So I used Isaiah 53. But when we began serving, I wasn't thinking... I'm the younger of the two. I should serve the, the fruit of the vine. But Ed took it, and I took the bread. So we went through the room, serving them bread one at a time. And it was a very meaningful experience. When we took the fruit of the vine, blessed bread's, Ed's heart, the uneven floor made for a very spilled communion in the plate, in the platter. But we got through it with no problem. But once again, because we do things so normally and regularly all the time, do we appreciate the challenge of what it's like the first time? But they were greatly moved and greatly appreciated. And that's what the building looked like where we preached and walked with them. Then we went to the Mugurama Church, another church. There I talked about the parables of the lost. Um, this is the group. And you can see the building that they have built. Notice that the roof is not yet finished. Um, they have continued to add roofing, which is just metal plates across the top, corrugated metal, and they are trying to get it finished. They didn't have it finished for the first rainy season. They're worried about one of the walls because it's all rock and dirt, but they'll eventually get through it all. And then, as you notice, the women are sitting in the back and the men are sitting in the front. <clears throat> but while we were there, nine were baptized. And so they go out into this large lake, the only lake that's uh, in the, along the country, the west side of the country, and we go to the lake, and people are baptized there. Notice that there are nine of them, and they're all given these green cuttings from leaves to signify to them the, the dawning of a new day, the dawning of their new life. And so it's a very uh, significant thing. But this was Sunday. So we left the first church probably around 1.30 or 2, drove for another hour to this church, spoke, and then we had to go down for the baptisms, not like that's a bad thing, but then we had to go down to the baptisms, and by the time we were coming back to have dinner at the preacher's house, it was dark. So when we headed home, um, well, I haven't gotten to that slide yet, I guess. These are, these are the gentlemen that were with us down at the baptistry, but it, then it's starting to get dark. And so as we're driving in the car, Ed and I are the only ones who uh, will speak in English unless our translators are speaking to us. And so we usually just listen to them talk. So while we were there, this is kind of what we listened to. I love about them is that they laugh all the time when this is what they drive through all the time <laughs> and when we're there and we're talking and we're we're sharing about the gospel when we're in the car sometimes they ask questions but it's always the younger ones that ask us more and more questions if you're riding in the front seat 
and you're driving through that, it's nice to be driving through it at nighttime. But there's also the presence of, of, of Islam over there. There isn't a great deal of distress that they feel about the presence of Islam, but everywhere we go, there's Islam. And in fact, every hotel I've ever been at is across the street from the chanter who chants every four hours and says the prayers over the megaphone. And so I've learned to just put earplugs in my ears so I can sleep through the night. <clears throat> but it isn't as if there are no presences of Christianity, even from non or from denominational sources. But you see that everywhere, and we're just trying to teach them what is true. But they also have drive-through. While you're there, they'll come up and stop with you, and then they'll put the fish in the window and ask you if you want to buy fresh fish. Sometimes it's fruit, but nearly always it's fish. And so our host will buy fish, put it in the car, and we drive home with fresh fish in the car. I don't know how you feel about that. I'd like to put it in an ice chest so that it's sealed, but that's not the way we carry it. But we still survive through all of that. And then while we were following home, it just so happened on this weekend, they were celebrating the death of one of their leaders that their airport is named for in Bushambira. He was a leader who probably was not the ideal great man, but he was killed. And they celebrate him. So we followed a truck just like that, packed full of people along the road for about two miles at nighttime, trying to get back to our hotel. But then we went to the Kabizi church as we came back up to Bujumbura. The Kabizi church of the eight churches that are called um, revival churches, this is the only church that has not yielded to the Bible's teaching about the plurality of elders. There is still one pastor, and there is one evangelist, and one deacon. So we just have to work through that and work with them. But while we were there, we caught so much rain that there, you couldn't hear anything through the metal roofs. Okay? And then at first when we arrived, the rain was so heavy that there was no light coming in from the outside because there is no electricity, by the way, inside any of these buildings. So the only way we could talk is to use our flashlights that we bring. But in the course of about an hour, the sunlight came back out at least enough for us to do the teaching without the use of flashlights. But the exciting part was, I'm trying to keep watch of the time, or keep track of the time, is when we came to Burundi the first time, it was our understanding that there was no one there who were New Testament Christians. But we since learned that that's not the case, for which we're very excited. That we learned in Bujumbura that there are several churches that are French-speaking churches. We knew they were there in the sense that we'd heard that they were there, but the person that was making the contact with us had given us his information, but he was not responding to us. So we thought, when we were very clear who we were, that he didn't want to have anything to do with us. But at some point in time, he finally decided to respond to us. And what's happened is this particular, we met him and his wife, in this little cafe in um, Bujumbira, a little cafe to serve coffee and cakes and donuts, Akimba and Giselle Amu. He 
came to Burundi after their 3,000 deaths bloodshed that happened toward the end of the 20th century, and he came around 2005. The country was war-torn. And he began to teach the gospel from correspondence courses that he had gotten from brethren that, li- that are here in the United States. And he learned the gospel from that, and from that has continued to share those correspondence courses and convert people. So Akimba and Giselle we've been excited to be with. But we asked them, how do you identify your churches? That are dis- and we asked, are your churches distinct from denominational churches? And they agreed they are. They are the churches of the body. And so they call themselves the church of the body. Again, in a country that's not ruled truly democratically, these people have to choose a name. And that's what they call themselves, to represent the truth of what they know. This is the church that meets with him, and uh, just very excited to introduce you to them and looking forward to our next trip in 2024 that we'll be able to meet them, get to know them, and hopefully continue to teach. I asked the elders if it was okay if I asked any, if anyone had any questions. I have about four minutes. If you have any questions that you'd like me to answer. I said four minutes, that's my rule, not the... Anybody have any questions? Okay. Wow. Well, thank you for letting me talk and trying to keep it as brief as I can. Remember that the work that you do here in Lufkin is an important work for the city of Lufkin. There are souls here that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to know what the truth is about what Jesus died to establish. But the rest of the world needs help too. And I'm grateful to the elders who take an interest in making sure that that can happen as well. I appreciate you all very much. I give God thanks and glory for all of you. And I pray God will continue to bless you. We're going to sing a song in just a moment, which is really intended to encourage you to obey the gospel or to respond and let the elders know of your interest in prayers. So let me offer this invitation. When Jesus came into the world, it really wasn't to just build buildings. When Jesus came into the world, it wasn't just to create institutions. It wasn't anything like that. It was to save people from the sins that they had committed, to establish a kingdom where he would be king, to establish a fellowship of believers who would be united with God because of him. He is the reason we are here. And tonight, if you need to follow him, we don't want to miss this opportunity to let you know you can. If you believe that he is the Christ, repent of your sin and be immersed into water. And if you're a Christian needing encouragement, let the elders here know what they can do for you. Together we stand.